Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Mean Old Lion Media presents the history of being black. What up, though? Welcome to another episode of the History of Being Black podcast. I'm Jay Hall, and I'm here with special guest, Dr. Gina Lathan. How are you this morning? I am doing well. Thank you so much for the invitation. No, no problem. Let me just say, I'm looking at you right now, and you look like life. Oh, okay. I love it. <laughs> I embrace it. I accept it all. Thank you. You do. I, I was like, wow. Like, when you log going, I, I don't know what's going on over there, but I need, you know, to ask you if I can get some of that life over there. So whatever you're doing is working. Just want to let you know. Thank you. Thank you. Now, how have you been? I've been really well. I've really been working a lot. And it's always a wonderful thing when you're working in your purpose. And so maybe that's some of the light you're picking up. I um, Just to kind of recap and give you an overview, I am the president of Route History Museum. We tell the story of the Black experience along Route 66. Um, I'm in, located in Springfield, Illinois. And so we talk specifically about the Illinois leg of the... Uh, the highway, but it's no, it, it doesn't have many differences than the other part of the of the highway. We are the only brick and mortar in the United States that tells that unique story of the Black experience. Historically, we've heard about Get Your Kicks on Route 66, and we've heard of all the family fun vacationing stories along Route 66, but that is not necessarily the Black experience. The Black experience aligns more with um, um, dealing with and living through and experiencing Jim Crow laws and traveling from the south of the United States to the north through the Great Migration for more opportunities. And so in those travels that oftentimes were very much unknown, we relied on one another even more, but we also relied especially on our Black businesses. And so the route 66 story specifically for black people is a celebration and recognition of our, of our black economy and how we work together. We supported one another. We protected one another because we knew we had to do that to get safely from the South to the North, but we also leaned very hard and maximized our dollar. And so that's a lot of what we tell our story about. And, um, we also use this as a great opportunity to tell older people as well as our young people about the great migration, to tell them and, and be realistic about where we, the world we live in now is very different from Jim Crow laws and um, the, the opportunities that we have that we didn't have, but also the collectiveness and um, the higher expectations. A lot of times that we had then that, you know, we really kind of take opportunities for granted now. And so um, it's a great, it's been a great opportunity being here in Springfield. Uh, Springfield is the home of President Abraham Lincoln. Our museum is just two blocks away, two very short blocks away from President Lincoln's home. And so when those tourists come into the city of Springfield, we want them not to only 
experience the reason they came a lot of times for President Abraham Lincoln, but to also understand that there's a very rich Black history in the city of Springfield. One of our exhibits is called the Four Heroes Exhibit. And we put that exhibit together because we wanted, uh, especially our young men in our community, to understand that there were Black men in their community many, many years ago that were um, they were our heroes. They were our entrepreneurs. They were our business owners. When people came in town and they didn't, didn't have anywhere to go, they weren't knocking on the doors of social service agencies. They were knocking on the doors of those business owners. They gave them a place to stay. They gave them uh, an opportunity to work for a living. And they also gave them a, a sense of independence and, and self-inner strength. And many of those men were targeted during lynchings. And so during the race riot of 1908, in the city of Springfield, which is the impetus for the NAACP after that race riot, then became uh, the development and moving forward in the development of the NAACP. There were several men that were murdered and they were entrepreneurs, they were business owners. There were also uh, a couple other men in our community they were very wealthy, they were very successful, but they also gave back. They were conductors on the Underground Railroad. They lived in the neighborhood and socialized with President Abraham Lincoln, but they also used their homes, they used their churches, they used their businesses as stations for the Underground Railroad. And understanding that if they were ever caught, they would have lost it all. They would have lost their lives, they would have lost their money, People in their family would have been murdered. Anyone who helped them would have been killed. And so talk about a hero. You know, my grandson, he turned uh, three the other day. And I mean, his hero is Superman, Spider-Man. <laughs> but I, you know, as a grandmother, it was very important for me, for him to know who true heroes are. And um, raising young black men, I have two sons, but and I had them very early in life. And so, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. If I would have known then, you know, but praise God, I got two grandsons, and so I'm able to make sure that I instill in them, you know, who they are, the shoulders that they stand on, and that their heroes are in the community that they live in. Well, first, congratulations on your grandsons. Thank you. Congratulations on that. My favorite hero definitely was Spider Man growing up. And I was- <laughs> I'm figuring that your grandson is hero is Spider-Man is the black one, Miles Morales. You know so what? Probably, I just maybe he just likes Spider-Man. all over. I don't know. I can't speak. <laughs> you probably, I'm, I'm, letting, I'm letting you know. I'm giving you a little bit more. Probably. Okay. <laughs> it's probably he, if he's three, he's probably looking at Miles Morales, which is okay. totally fine, which is okay. he's the black one. And one of the reasons when I was reading about you, I instantly became drawn to was the conversation about the Black migration. I'm I'm a product of the Black migration. I'm born and raised in Detroit, but my family migrated from South Carolina, Columbia, Newberry, South Carolina, mm-hmm. you know, all the way up to Michigan. So, you know, when I heard that story, I was, I'm always drawn to conversations about the Black migration because I, on a personal, I kind of feel like we don't have that conversation enough. And so I wanted to ask you first, when you hear or the term Black journey, what comes to your mind? You know, it. I would. I would say now it's very different than what it was five, ten years ago. We opened our doors in 2019, and so quite honestly, there was a lot of my history that I just didn't. Um, our history that I just didn't know of. I just knew that I wanted to create this space um, for uh, growth, understanding, and education around Black history. 
And I've identified the perfect location because it was so close to our tourist um, uh, destination for the city of Springfield in the state of Illinois, quite frankly. And so when I think about journey, there's a personal journey that I had to experience in my own life and understanding that, um, you know, in raising children and being a family member, there were people who went left and there were people that went right. And, you know, and in kind of looking at, you know, there's those that are in those hills and, and valleys. And even that, that's myself. There's, you know, there's certain things that I could have done that if, um, or, or I had done, that if there were the right people or the right examples or the right spaces that were available for myself and for others, maybe we would have made better decisions. And so I think that first, you know, just understanding that we are all going through our own journeys. And then when we talk about it from a historical standpoint, there are so many lessons that we can just learn from our history. We don't have to repeat mistakes of the past. A lot of times everything that we're going through has been done already. And we also have learned so much in terms of community collectiveness, coming together, supporting one another, even if we don't agree. When we sit at the table, we need to have a common goal and and we need to be clear. Sometimes it's very important for us to have a meeting before the meeting and and to understand that there's an agenda going in, going to the table and um, and there is agenda that we need to, you know, just be consistent with leaving that room where the table was. And so uh, I, I, I would say that those are the journeys, especially in this day and age today, when we're looking at such high race, rates of incarceration, when we're looking across the country in terms of rolling back and taking away various rights, when, we, uh, when we're looking at uh, our history being erased in certain spaces and uh, lower expectations from our young people, when we know that in careers in science, technology, engineering, and math, there is there is a gap and a need for us to raise our young people up in a way that they can just walk into those very successful careers and build businesses out of them or or just take the corporate route, whatever they choose. But there's so many opportunities. So that's what I think of when I think of journeys that we have. We're in a, a in a great space to be able to make other people's journeys a lot better. Can you recall your first introduction when you heard about a family's journey, like your family's journey, like I remember how young I was hearing about mine. Can you recall one for yourself? I do. Um, as I said before, I live here in the Springfield, Illinois, but I, um, I'm i like one of the uh, generations birthed from the Great Migration. And so my family, my mother, my father's mother was from Clarksdale, Mississippi. And so they moved from Mississippi and then they, they, and when I say they, I mean her and her siblings. And I think there were about seven, don't get me wrong, catch me wrong, but maybe like seven of them. And they uh, traveled to Southern Illinois. My father was raised in Southern Illinois and he had 13 brothers and sisters. And he also had cousins. And there was like, there was one family, I think there was like 14 siblings. And then there was another family. And there for them, there was maybe like 14 or 13 as well. Well, one group stayed in Southern Illinois. And then after a while, my, my, my father, he actually graduated from high school in Springfield, Illinois. So they all were in Springfield. And then another one of the siblings moved on to Chicago. <clears throat> and so we have these large families in Southern Illinois and uh, Central Illinois and in Northern Illinois. And so when, um, 
when I when I just you know kind of understanding the great migration and um, not really knowing what that all meant on you know even in terms of opportunity. My grandmother left Southern Illinois because financially she just wasn't doing any well any doing that well, and so she moved to Central Illinois for better opportunities for her children, and it actually worked out really well. And 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 so that was a part of that's that's my great migration story. Did that play a part into your education grooming? Like, you know, knowing that were you very early on and saying, I'm going to go and study this or were you on another path? You know what? It really did. Um, My mother worked for state government. My dad was the journeyman carpenter. But they were also both entrepreneurs. My mother was a seamstress and has been one for years, as well as a quilter. And my dad always did construction projects on the side. And I don't care what anyone says, my dad is the best. It was the best constructor work, construction worker of all time. <laughs> I'm a daddy's girl. Yay, dad. <laughs> yes. But so I learned and I really... I didn't know what it was, entrepreneur. I just know, knew and realized that that was a part of life, that there was this space outside of the nine to five that you could create your own and make extra money and do it your own way. And from um, me, as I said before, early on, I had my oldest son when I was 17 years old and my second son when I was 21 years old. But my grandmother though she had 13 children and at the time of her death, I had 51 first cousins. I have more now, but 51 first cousins. Um, and we all know each other and all love each other. And, um, but there were, um, it was, it's very interesting that during that time period that we were able to, as a family, you know, really be able to come together and, and, and um, be able to celebrate where we came from and to in and where we are now. And so when I think of that that journey of just having her as a grandmother and knowing that she had so many grandchildren, but we all thought we were the favorite and that she put those expectations on us. And so she always directed me and told me, you're going to be an attorney. I didn't have any attorneys in my family. I didn't know of I I never knew an attorney be, until I became an adult. And but it was always something. So when people would say, ask, what what are you going to do when you grow up? I would just say I was going to be an attorney because that's what my grandmother told me I was going to be. So and, you know, I I earned my Ph.D. from a pretty good school. So she unfortunately she wasn't there, you know, to watch me, you know, be a part of my graduation, even though it was during covid. And she uh, but, you know, she was definitely a big part of my foundation. What was some of the first that you could think of key jobs that you were working that early in your career with this, with you having this awareness that you had? Oh, goodness. In terms of, you know, I've always worked. I just, I've been working since I was 14 years old on someone's payroll. Before that, you know, I, I come, my mother has a large family as well. So I've always babysitted someone's kids. So um, I would say for me, um, it wasn't just that one time. It was, you know, these seeds that were constantly being planted. And um, um, and that's why I think it's so important, you know, to embrace young people as a community. Before, you know, I joined you here, I was in a meeting with um, the COO, Tina Williams, 
who is COO of Route History, and we're bringing on some summer workers. And so for our our workers, you know, we you know, we don't have a luxury of having these large budgets a lot of times. And so we have to not only provide opportunity for our young people to gain experiences, but we have to make sure that they are adding value as well. And so in the past, we've taught, you know, it's more than, you know, you're up front or you're answering the phone, but you're learning accounts payable, you're learning accounts receivable, you're learning project management, because this is the work we do. And so we need you to be here and to add value. Now they leave and they always want to come back and stay. And it's always a long list. And it's a great, great opportunity to be able to share and learn from them as well. But it is, it, we, we create these spaces for young people to really have a platform and in, in, in ser- their experience to serve as a catalyst for them to do other great things. I often say, you know, a lot of times when we create opportunities for young people, for girls, we tend to place them in the office. We plan- tend to, you know, prepare them to sit, you know, in at a desk and do technical work in those ways. But for our young boys, a lot of times we have them do the lawn, we have them cut the grass, and there's nothing wrong with that. Those are very honorable jobs and professions. But on the other side, we can't get mad when it's time to compete for positions and the young ladies are more prepared than the young men because we didn't create those spaces to prepare them. And so what we try to do um, throughout history in my uh firm, Lathan Harris, we, in particular for, for our young men, is we put them in the spaces of leadership and um, give them the opportunity to learn how to run businesses, administration, lead projects, so that they're more competitive after they leave our space and go out to the real world. I got to tell you, sometimes I wonder about that because through my travels, being a Midwestern, what you just said right now resonated with me because I remember working one job out of high school, all of the men had to go work in the stock room, the warehouse mm-hmm. at a store called Service Merchandise. All of the women could get cashier jobs, mm-hmm. especially the black men. I'm just going to keep it where it is. The black men, none of them. I, I was the only one. One person hired me to work at the register. Mm-hmm. Every other black young black man that came back there, young or old, had to go work in the back. Yes. That's just what it was. (laughs) I mean, it's a conditioning that we normalize and Mm -hmm. it's not, it should not be our norm because if we operate, move from that space and operate in that space in life, then we're always going to position ourselves in the back. Yeah, that, that that's true. I mean, how, with you having that history, knowing that, and then you got your personal experience and you're getting these nuggets all through life, you know, all through life and you're in education and I feel like I connect with you because so, I've been working since I was, I don't even know when I was not working also too. I, I had my first job in the second grade. Okay. And you're right. <laughs> when you when you just been working, it, it's, you know, you don't know how you kind of show up at it. That's what you do, right? That's mm-hmm. what you do. You contribute to the house and that's, that's what you do. But how does one make something that is kind of a casual conversation or a nugget? How do you make that a reality? I mean, Route 66 in this history, being what you said in Springfield, Illinois, how do you make that a reality? Are you and your friends sitting around? Are you working a job project that's next to it? Like, how does that happen? You know, I for me, how it happened is I knew that when my son, my youngest son came to me and said that he was expecting a child. And then when I found out that he was having a son, unfortunately, in my family, I've seen and experienced death one too many times from people that I love and 
were near and dear to me. And I knew the genius in those people and that they weren't able to really fulfill and step into those lanes in life. And I knew I wanted my grandchild to have an exceptional life. And in knowing that he had, and I love my community, but I also know that you're at your best when you're in an environment that supports you in your best. And so my first start was, it wasn't even a museum. It was more of a souvenir space. It was creative juices trying to figure out there's something here. So I started to do research and came across a site that was connected with the Smithsonian Institute. And in exchanges back and forth, they were telling me, oh, you're in Springfield. And I was like, oh, yeah. And I wasn't really impressed. And they were much more impressed. And they talked about how Springfield was a part of the was it had a significant space in the green book, the Negro Motors Green Book. That was the book that black people carried during their travels. Um, it was developed by Mr. Victor Green and Mr. Victor Green was a postman on the East Coast. And so he would collect addresses of black businesses because there was a lot of lynching going on um, across the country, especially during the Great Migration. And so he wanted to make sure that black people were able to go to safe spaces to get basic essentials such as gas, shelter, food, maybe some entertainment. And so he, on an annual basis over decades, he upgraded and updated his um, book, The Negro Motors Green Book. And it was sold um, at um, like local urban leagues. It was sold by SO Gas, uh, but um, it was a reference and a guide for the traveler. So I just wanted to, you know, kind of shed light on history in my space. And then also it, it really developed out. We, um, from that point, we've developed what's called a junior historian where we certify young people to be junior historians. And they um, learn about history through interactive engagement. They learn that either they're going to, well, they're going to either be a traveler, they're going to be a merchant, they're um and in these roles, if they're a merchant, then they have a budget. They have to de determine what their supplies are or what their products are. They may own a tourist home. So what does their tourist home have? You have a bedroom or are you going to offer breakfast in the evening or food? You know, who's going to maintain it? And, you know, just kind of understanding what a home, a tourist home really provided, especially since many black people couldn't stay in hotels. Or if you had a store, what were some of the services you needed? Because remember, there wasn't a McDonald's along the road. There wasn't a Burger King. So there was no drive-through. You weren't getting that. So what are some of the foods that you could take um, and you could maintain for the ride? What did you need if you couldn't stop for gas? For gas, So did you need some type of container? Um, if you weren't uh, driving and going at a hotel, do you need some pillows or blankets? And then what do you do to be entertained? Because guess what? They don't have, they didn't have tablets. So you talk about a culture shock. These kids are like, hold on, wait, you don't get drive through. You don't have a tablet. What are they doing? They don't even know where they're really going. So it is really engaging. And we just learned, you know, our kids learned their privilege of technology and just being born in a more uh, a faster era in, in terms of access. But but they also have a great, greater appreciation of history and those that came before them and understanding the sacrifice and the hard work that they had to put out. But also recognizing, you know, when we talk about 
even gas stations. They're like, black people don't own gas stations because that's not what's familiar to them in their community where that was something that was very common. And so just kind of understanding, you know, the corner store was owned by a black person in your community. So it, it teaches a lot and it's a lot of exchange uh, between uh, uh, times past and pres presence. Um, but it, it's always a lot of fun to just engage our young people. The other uh, project that we're rolling out at the end of June is our virtual reality. We have traveled and are still traveling uh, between uh, uh, the northern part of the state of Illinois to the southern part. Uh, we are visiting and engaging gatekeepers, uh, historical societies, newspapers, uh, entrepreneurs of the past, their family members um, from Chicago, Joliet, Bloomington, Springfield, Brooklyn, and East St. Louis area, Illinois. And we're creating virtual towns. And those virtual towns will allow individuals to have a black experience during that time period. So it'll be a great way. It's a great way to celebrate and recognize and remember historical people, places and events within those cities. But it's also an opportunity to use technology with our young people are very familiar with to continue to engage them. So we are working with um, uh, two black virtual architects and they are helping us create these virtual towns and we're using content that we've obtained from green books as well, but nothing's better than just going to those cities and talking to those people who are 80, 90, 70 years old, or they were a child and they're sharing the childhood experiences, or they're telling us about the business that their family owned or sharing their photos. And we're recreating those in virtual spaces. So in East St. Louis, you may drive, be driving down the, um, and you hear the sweet sounds of this instrument. It's just beautiful. And you drive and you're at the stoplight and, and you may look to your left and you see a young Miles Davis playing his instrument in his front yard. And so you're now able to learn about him and his upbringing, or you may hear about a, a march where the uh, beauticians came together and they uh, protested the lack of some certain services for families. And out of that became a, a long-term uh, uh, community service organization. And, you know, we, we have these great experiences in all of these cities and they're very different. And you're able to travel using uh, four different characters. It may be a World War II veteran. It may be a blues singer who's traveling with her, her backup singers. There's a family of four. Um, there's also um, a, a Black baseball team. And so they talk about the different stops that truly happened where these games were such so powerful in, in such a part of the Black history or the churches where the bells were rang during the riots or different protests or they may talk about historical events or, or great places. I did. I mean, just the other day, we were a group of part of our team. They were in Joliet, Illinois. And I don't know why, but I didn't know Lionel Richie was born in Joliet. I thought he was born in the South. And so there was a gentleman, he was just kind of talking about when he was this paper boy as a young child. And, you know, and so it's just little nuggets of information about, you know, famous people, but local heroes as well. And it's just, it's just going to be a great experience. So you have to come to Springfield, Illinois, and be a part of our virtual experience. <laughs> no, I, I I would love to because I was watching and I saw that the Root History Museum used to be a gas station because you just brought yes. that up, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So was that gas station black owned or is it abandoned? It was, what was not black of? owned. There okay. was not a, a it was not a black owned gas station, but we do have a 
on the wall, I have this uh, green book entry that the representative from the Smithsonian sent me. And we placed that and there was a black uh, gas station that was open during that time. So it's really great for our visitors to come in young and old, especially some locals, because they can talk about those experiences in those places. But we are building those out in the virtual reality. Yeah, I got to tell you, you know what I find so interesting? Even as I keep getting older, how sometimes being Black, you know the definition of something even when you're introduced to it for the first time. And the first time I was introduced to the term sundown town was in Lovecraft Mm -hmm. Country, right? But when they said it, I instantly knew what it meant. Mm -hmm. Like, I I knew exactly what it meant. It reminded me of my grandmother and them telling stories and things of that nature of going from north to south. Yes. And all of that. What? Why is that important for you to get that, to document that part of history, those, those, those parts about, hey, listen, the family didn't just come from the South and North and everything was sweet. There was a whole experience, like a movie in the travel alone. Why was that so important for you to document? Because it's a part of our history. Because it tells the complete story. And our history is very important. We need to know where we come from. We need to know um, our experiences, our shared experiences, which help mold us in in terms of how we are in some of the, the things we do, and and what our found where our foundation comes from. So it is it is worthy to be documented. You know, we have made so many great contributions. When you think about um, the contributions of those entrepreneurs, those entrepreneurs. Um, were also many of the entrepreneurs that sent dollars back to the South during the civil rights era. Many of those contribu- contributions um, um, also not only help fund our HBCUs, but also made ways and um, made strides so that um, in, um, not in, in traditional colleges, we were able to get in and have a seat at the table and be able to earn advanced degrees. And so those are the foundations, you know, um, when I talk about, uh, you know, the young people who are directed to cut the grass and things like that. And I say those are honor- were honorable positions. They were and they are. And there are many people, men and women who did that work and were never recognized, but they saved their money. They were wise with their money. They made sure that they were taken care of and they looked nice and they presented very well, but they also saved money to make sure that their uh, generations after them had dollars to go to college, had um, bought family homes, family homes that were able to give rest to many people who maybe never had a place to stay in their family, but they were able to go to those homes or, you know, in, in challenging times. And we, when young people have to go back, they had somewhere to go back. So uh, we can't forget, you know, those things didn't just happen. They happened because people were working hard. They were enduring racism. They were enduring and living through Jim Crow, but they continued to persevere. And so celebrating them and uh, is, is something we need to do. Is it fair to say that the route, Route 66, was almost an elevated underground railroad? Oh, yes. I would definitely say okay. that. Mm-hmm. I would because we moved like it was an underground railroad. Um, it was don't go left, go right when you get to that corner. <laughs> when you go here, make sure you ask for this person. They'll give you X, Y, Z. If you need this, go to ask that person. So we operated that way. 
definitely. And we the had friends why. along the way, just like we had in the Underground Race uh, Railroad. You know, there were people who were not black. They helped us in those, in that tra those travels as well. Yeah, the reason why I love hearing stories like that because it goes against that narrative that I stand against of black people don't help each other. And I feel like we've been helping each other since we got here. <laughs> you know, we do. we do. We just, you know what? I think it is. I think it's less of, I think it's less of we don't help each other. And it's more of, we don't have the meeting before the meeting. So, <laughs> so we don't know. We're not on the same page when we walk in the room and we may need to do that a little bit more. I also seen that you express that the Root Museum kind of also has documentation or talks about how that Route 66 also helped us from an economic standpoint. It did. It can definitely you respond on did. That for us? Can you respond yes. on that for a second? Yes, definitely. Because there were businesses, because of Jim Crow, there were just so many places that we could not access resources. And if we did, we were in a very humil humiliating, demeaning uh we were treated that way, very uh, demeaning. And so uh, we created our own businesses, our own spaces that we were respected. We were, we got quality products and services. We were protected. We informed one another um, along those travels. And, um, and from an economic standpoint, we put our dollars back into our community because we sought out our own businesses. And when we spent our money, we were spending our own our money with our own businesses. And we can see a trail from Illinois to California where black businesses used to be on on Route 66. Because when we uh, developed Interstate 55, we moved up. So many people just left 66 and then they went on the interstate. And what we didn't do is we didn't put in a system in place to make sure that those Route 66 black businesses were taken care of. So many of them are gone. Uh, many of them just could not sustain because they couldn't compete with Interstate 55. And we, we didn't really think ahead and we didn't maybe didn't have anyone at the table to say, hey, what about these other businesses and what's what is this going to do to our own economy? Where do you feel a narrative like that? Where, did, where does that happen? I mean, because us knowing that history, right? And I feel like Black folks are some of the greatest orators. So there's a certain history we've been telling to each other since forever. Yes. And even though I might not personally have known about Route 66 and everything that come with it, you there's a whole community that did. But where does this narrative, that anti-we-don't-help-each-other narrative and just ignoring that part of history, where do you think that come? I mean, where, where does that come from? You know, um, I think those are kind of two separate questions. You know, we don't help each other in ignoring our history. Um, I think we do help each other. I think that we don't always have to agree. But that doesn't mean that I don't support you. I'm just not going to rally with you on this one because I don't agree with you. Doesn't mean I don't have any respect and regard for you. It just means that that's just not my battle or, or, or my space right now. Um, and it, it and it's okay. The other part is that um, in terms of, so so that's the, we don't support each other. And, and then the other point uh, of 
of the conversation around, you know, the, and I think I need to put in here in the middle of that is the safety piece. Because oftentimes we're not in a position where we're safe. We're just not, you know? And if we are safe, we have to figure out what that is. You, you know, it's, and what do I mean by that? I mean that if even if we think about, you know, our push for our young people to learn math and science and go into these careers that are focused on STEM and engineering and, you know, uh, the advanced healthcare as physicians, there are not a lot of gatekeepers there. Just because historically we haven't had those positions. And so we're on one hand, we're kind of pushing and pushing and pushing our young people to go into these new career paths. And they're not new career paths, but they're new for us because we haven't really embarked on those in large numbers. But on the other side of there, of, on the other side of the situation, there's not any, a lot of times, any gatekeepers there. And those gatekeepers really help you navigate where you are, how you should move, giving you mentorship, giving you guidance, you know, helping you foster relationships and understanding what relationships are more or less beneficial for you. And so in that safety, there's we haven't we're not there for that space. So if we're not there for that space, then when we have the conversations of we don't protect each other and we don't trust each other. It's like, I'm going in here and I don't know anything. And I don't know, I don't any, know anything about my environment. And just because you look like me, I don't even know you. So I, I think that that, you know, that lack of safety is a big, a big part of it. And we're doing more, in, especially with technology and creating more communities online and um, having even virtual conferences COVID taught us that how to do more virtually, you know, like now we're virtually, you know, virtual and five, six years ago, you know, people just weren't moving like that. So it's kind of pulling back those layers of the unknown and, um, you know, giving out more information and resources. What's some of the unsung history that's located in the Root Museum? I mean, in there. Oh, gosh, we have... uh, we oh one good one one exciting one is uh uh we have we tell the story of Miss Eva Carol Monroe and in the early 1900s Miss Eva Carol Monroe was a woman uh, everyday woman that continued to see in the city of Springfield that there were black children that were living on the streets that did not have anywhere to go there were two or three orphanages but none of them took in black children so she found a location and then she ended up identifying a bigger location and she got support from others and she created what was called then the Lincoln's Colored Home. And that was one of the first black orphanages in the United States. And it was the first black orphanage in the state of Illinois. And so that building is still standing. And that building and then over time, she not only took in children, but she took in the elderly. Now, this was during a time that people weren't getting government assistance to do what we know as now our social services. As time went on and social services was more structured and uh, 
organizations and agencies were being grandfathered into the system to receive those funds from the government. She was not one of those agencies that was one of those organizations and bodies that was grandfathered in. And so over time, she had to close her doors. But talk about uh, just a, a history maker and a hero. This woman and her sisters, her sisters helped her a lot. Uh, was she did a life-saving service you know it gets cold here and back then it was really getting cold so you know I can't imagine where those babies went but she made a way and a lot of times and from the stories and the research there wasn't a lot of food but there was shelter there was somewhere for you for you for you to lay your head and so we are finalizing our purchase of that building and so we are purchasing and we're doing going to do some renovation of the building and it will be it. We are going to integrate that into um, our uh, tourism um, experience. And so we have a, I got to come back so I can give you an update on where we are with that. And we're in the final stages of making all of this happen. But I want to share it. And so, yes, that's one of the great secrets. And we I didn't really know much about that building. It's so interesting. These buildings are not like this far away place. They're right here in our community. I just never knew what it was. There's another building that is actually what one, two, three blocks away from the Lincoln's Color Home. And it's called the Ambidexter Institute. It is coined as the Tuskegee of the North. And the Ambidexter Institute uh, provided a space where they taught uh, in the early 1900s, a math and science to black children, as well as a domestic skill in a trade, because they wanted to make sure that they always were able to be employed. And so long before STEM programming and these workforce development programs came out, you know, they were doing that work. And so talk about just preparing our young people for the world that they were going to be living in and not knowing which road they were going to travel and what their journey was going to be, but they knew that when they walked out of those doors, that they would have several options that uh, were in their tool chest to be able to provide for themselves and their families. I, I'm always curious, how do you go about go, go about getting some of those black artifacts? You know, you just call up somebody and say, hey, listen, that belongs to us now. How does that happen? You know what? I did. People kept saying, you guys need to get that. I was like, oh, no, that's a big project. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. But when it's for you, it's for you. And it just kept coming back and it kept coming back. And then we were uh, very fortunate to be able to secure the funding. And we looked at and that was not I will be honest, that was not our first choice. And then over conversations like, you know what? this could work and this could be a win for our community and it could be a win for all kids, you know, just to learn about the greatness and the richness of our culture. And um, so, yes. So, yes, we're going to be doing renovations and um, yeah, you're going to have to, Hey, come on with your microphone and your, your headset, come on down to uh, uh, Springfield, Illinois and uh, do your show. No, I do. I, I do yeah. because it's, you know, again, I, I feel as if the the black migration is something that's just not talked about a lot. And especially when you think about all of those areas of Route 66 that you touch, because you just talked about how it goes all the way to California. Mm -hmm. Has the goal been to build other Route Black history museums along the way as a you franchise? Know, it hasn't. It hasn't. I think that, you know, I don't want to say no, because I said no to that Lincoln's Color home. And <laughs> 
and here we are. So I don't want to say no, but I will say that we are always going to try to make a way to help um, share our stories. And so if they're, and I, I think that it's always great to empower people in their own spaces, in their own communities to really kind of build out their history. And 2026 is will be the 100th anniversary of Route 66. Route 66 is a billion dollar industry, international industry. And so we will be able to be a part of those tourism experiences. It's my hope that Black uh, historic organizations that are along Route 66 really start to build out their stories and become more tourist attractions for our international, national, and local visitors so that we are clear and it's clear and consistent throughout the United States that we have a story, a very rich story, story to tell. And then also for Illinois uh, in 2026 will also be the 100th birthday of Mr. Miles Davis. And so in East St. Louis is uh, his childhood home. They have turned that into the house of Miles. They're also a very good friend and partner to route history. And so we're really excited about 2026 and being able to celebrate Mr. Miles Davis in the state of Illinois, while we also celebrate and recognize the uh, rich black history along Route 66. There are so many lessons a student, adult can get walking into a museum. So, so many. There's so many things that you can get. What What's for you personally? The one thing when I step through the door, anyone walk through the door, you really, really in your heart want them to walk out with? Seeing themselves in the stories. When you walk in, the first thing you're going to see across the back wall is we have a handmade road and it has the street signs of all of, it's like an interstate street sign of every state along Route 66. So it's very colorful and bright. And so you'll see that when you walk in, but immediately your guided tour will start off with what is called windows to history, because we have to tell the backstory and, and lay the foundation. And so we talk about uh, and, and help our visitor uh, get basic knowledge of what uh Jim Crow laws were and why there was the great migration and the significant role of black businesses. We even weave some conversation in there around uh, Chuck Berry, who sang the song, get your kicks on route 66, but he couldn't even stay in the hotels and go through the front door of the places that he was performing. And so just, you know, kind of putting that into true context, the next exhibit is the Green Book exhibit. So we have, um, through the Green Book exhibit, we share with the visitor, you know, that it was more than just a book, but it was a life-saving resource. And we kind of talked through that and what it meant for the traveler and, and why it was a life-saving guide. Uh, we, we, we also tell um, the story of the race riot of 1908, which is very significant to not only the state of Illinois and the city of Springfield, but it was a part of a very dark time in our country where there were race riots across our country. And when, if you really dig deep into those riots, you will see that consistently there was a target on black entrepreneurs, recognizing that if you killed or harmed or destroyed the business of the entrepreneur, then you are killing the economic lifeline of the community or part of it. And so understanding that those things and those acts were very strategic. 
So there, um, and then also our exogas exhibit talks about how exogas recognized the value of the black dollar. And they had a training program where they trained black men to be entrepreneurs and own black SO gas across the, uh, across the United States. And then in their ownership, they also recognized that they needed a black marketing firm. So they hired a black marketing firm to market to us about those ga um, their gas stations and the success of that. And um, then we also go into exterior uh, of the building where you have the four heroes exhibit, as I mentioned before. And we have a beautiful mural that was developed by a local uh, young man and artist. And it really captures all of those different elements that we that I made mention of before with the Ambidextry Institute, the race riot, the uh, Lincoln's Colored Home, Route 66, the Green Book, we also highlight um, the black area of our cemetery and, um, you know, and, and those black entrepreneurs that made up the four, our four heroes. So you leave with more than one thing, a great experience and, and hopefully a desire to want to learn more about your own local history, about your own family history, and then the desire to acknowledge that they did it and they did it in a way that you could build off of what they did and create your own space in terms of uh, productivity and happiness. I, I just got a couple more. I, I have to ask you the, uh, it, it seems to always be lately just pushback on anything of black history. You know, literally lawmakers are trying to take away books and it doesn't even feel sometimes as if we're living in the 2020s. It feels like we're living like in the 1800s. Mm. What, when you, part of their criticism on the other side is, oh, I don't want to just be teaching hate or whatever. But when I was growing up, Route 66 was just TV shows. They were making cool about two white guys driving on a car and their misadventures of what they did. And it was always so colorful. But that was a, a elimination of my history too. Yes. What is it about the pushback on just telling something that actually happened from your perspective, doctor? Sometimes people are just comfortable with a certain side of the story. And it's not a matter of being confrontational or um, just difficult, but it is a matter of celebration of self. And so that's the way we move forward in, in terms of route history. I'm, we celebrate the richness of our stories, the uniqueness of our stories, the contributions of the people, places, and events that happen with, by, and um, from Black people in their communities, unapologetically. And so there is such a sense of pride that comes with that. And it's in, um, we recognize the pain, we recognize the trauma, but we also recognize the strength and the perseverance um, in, in that people had a strength and a perseverance and they carried that weight. They should not have had to, but they did it. And so with, with them doing that, we want to celebrate them in that. That's the very least that we could do. I appreciate that. How, is it for those of us that don't live in Springfield, how can we help support this institution? Oh, wow. So if you do not live in Springfield, you could sponsor 
young people coming to visit. Um, we definitely are going to be doing more in terms of webinars and um, just engagement on a larger scale. So um, please go online. We are in the process of revamping our website, but we are, are, are um, uh, updating our friend list so that we can, um, on our newsletter, which will be released on a regular basis, you'll get more information on what we have going on. Okay. And for right now, Dr. Gina Lathan, how can, um, where can we find any social media, any platforms that we can go and we can check out the progress yes. that's really happening? I'm the worst. I will put that out there. They don't let me test the social media. That is not my jam. <laughs> I don't do it well. But um, we are on social media, Route History, R-O-U-T-E History. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Visit Route History is our Instagram, and they are updating it, yes. And okay. then you're more than welcome to send us a message. Send us an email if there are any opportunities, other opportunities for podcasts, webinars, speaking engagements. Uh, let us know. We're always willing and and, and happy to engage others in different formats and platforms. No, I appreciate it. I, I, and again, this invitation to come on is an open door invitation. So we do want you to come back to let us know. Thank you. You know, the, yeah. the, the latest the latest updates of it because our history definitely needs to be documented. So I just want to say on the personal note, I highly appreciate you for that. Is there anything we need to be looking out for that the Rock Museum is, is building? Yes. Um, as I said, uh, the end of June, we're looking at, a, we haven't set the exact date, but we're looking at around June 22nd, um, the launch of our virtual reality. And um, so we are very excited. And if we could uh, come back around that time, that'd be great just to kind of share what's going on afterward, you know, maybe our first week or so. And if you want to come to Springfield, hey, come on. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Dr. Gina Lathan. I appreciate you coming on here. This has been another episode of History Being Black. I know at this point, definitely my blackness has been elevated. Thank you, Dr. Gina Lathan. I hope your blackness has been elevated, but it's it's been a privilege. Definitely appreciate you. As usual, you can find all of our episodes on Apple Music. You can find our episodes on anywhere where you find podcasts. You can also follow me at J Hall Society. You can find the History Being Black on IG and Mean O Lion Media Network. As usual, be successful, blessful, and we will talk to you soon. The History of Being Black is hosted by Jay Hall, executive producer Ken Johnson. Find the History of Being Black podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcast. Find the History of Being Black podcast on IG at The History of Being Black. Follow the Mean O'Line Media Podcast Network on IG at Mean O'Line Media. Get the Mean O'Line Media app in the App Store or on Google Play. The History of Being Black podcast is a Mean O'Line Media production.